Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And this week, we have a very timely topic because we are getting ready to get into election season big time. So uh, Jason, our producer, has chosen to invite Karen Brinson Bell, who is the executive director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections, to share some background on that uh, that particular office and what it does in conducting the elections across the state of North Carolina. Um, and she has been in that role since June 1st, 2019. Uh, Karen, thank you for being with us. And first of all, why don't you just sort of give us an overview of exactly what the State Board of Elections has as its responsibility. Happy to do that. And thanks for having me on. Um, I am always up for talking about elections. It's definitely in the blood. Um, I uh, I work for the State Board of Elections. I am appointed by the State Board. So when I reference it, there's both a board and the State Board of Elections is an independent agency of state government. So the five-member board uh, are is a that's a, an appointed body by the governor based upon recommendations from the political parties, the top two political parties. Uh, the structure is that three of the members are of the governor's party and two, the other two members are of the next largest political party. Um, when they are uh, appointed, that takes place in early May of odd numbered years and they serve four year terms. And so they just got appointed back this May uh, they meet uh, to name the executive director, and uh, and that person is appointed executive director for two-year terms. Um, and so I was reappointed for my third term uh, back in May. That puts me in charge of the agency and the day-to-day -day operations and administration of elections. I'm recognized as the state's chief election official. Um, which is a, a distinction that's given in the National Voter Registration Act. Um, and in a lot of states, that person is the Secretary of State, but North Carolina and a few other states are different in that, that manner. Uh, our charge is to have oversight of all 100 county board of elections. Um, so each county has a county board, with, which is comprised of board members and a day-to-day -day office with a county elections director. And, uh, you know, together, we work uh, in unison to conduct elections, register voters, uh, campaign finance compliance is uh, under our umbrella. And so you know, it's a day-to-day -day job that we are doing to ensure that all of those processes go smoothly and that every eligible voter is able to exercise their right to vote. Well, of course, the last election still is being uh, contested in many respects, and election boards all across the country uh, were challenged. And yet, uh, according to the courts, uh, it uh, seems that uh, most of the elections across the country seem to have worked pretty fine, and there didn't seem to be any proven cases of fraud that uh, I'm aware of, at least any that were found uh, uh, serious enough to where it uh, married any kind of criminal action. Uh, President Trump, of course, still is claiming that uh, there was irregularities, and uh, but uh, even many on his own staff uh, were content with them. Uh, how, how do you feel about uh, the election process across the country? Do you think it worked, went as smoothly as it uh, possibly could? You know, 
the 2020 election, the 2022 election, um, you know, and we've had municipal elections in between that time. We're going through municipal elections right now. You know, I have the utmost confidence in what we did to carry out those elections. Uh, voter fraud gets brought up. And voter fraud, we have an investigations team here at the State Board of Elections, and we find that actual voter fraud is a very small minimum. Um, it, you know, it's a few situations from time to time where we might actually have someone who attempts to double vote. But most of the situations are where some sort of clerical error has happened, where um, a, a senior checks in and junior, his son's voter record was marked in, you know, in error, something like that. And so then we have to correct those processes. And so that's not actually voter fraud. Um, you know, there are times when someone who's elderly forgets that they cast an absentee ballot or were uncertain about doing that process. And so then they show up to vote. Um, and, you know, if that's been checked in our records. And so they aren't actually able to cast a second ballot. Um, you know, we do work hard to communicate with other uh, state election offices and jurisdictions across the country uh, to ensure that our records stay up to date so that someone uh, would be very limited in their ability to vote in North Carolina and vote in another state as well. Um, you only get to cast one ballot, no matter how many homes you might own or where you might work, uh, only one ballot. But, you know, I think what is I hope is reassuring to um, all North Carolinians is the the intense measures we go to to prepare for the elections and then to certify them um, post-election. So before every single election, not only have we done maintenance on our voter rolls, conducted extensive training for those precinct officials and folks who will be working at our voting sites, but we also do what's called logic and accuracy testing. So every piece of voting equipment that's going to be deployed and all the, the components to that voting equipment is tested um, thoroughly. Actually, there's some elections sometimes where we cast more test ballots than we do actually have people show up to vote a ballot. Um, and we put that through rigors. We do a mock election to make sure the results website's working properly and that everyone um, has participated thoroughly. Then post-election, we do a number of audits um, to ensure the integrity of the election. And following every election, by law, we hold what's called a sample hand to eye count. And the day after the election, there's a random draw based upon um, a formula established by a statistician that you know we draw the names and then tell the counties these are the two voting locations that you're going to count to determine that those tabulators did work properly and you know the error that we find is usually slim to none um, and it's often something that's once again human error and not something about our voting equipment we put all of that before the county boards we put that before the state board and we go through a canvas period or and that's when we certify the election and so you know in all of these cases, these county board members and state board members have said that our elections are accurate and we are good to go to send those certificates of election to those candidates. So the, you know, the people who are serving in our legislatures, the people who are serving on our town boards, the people who are serving in Congress, they were rightfully elected and received their certificate of election because it was confirmed by the county boards of elections and the state board of elections so you know i really do have the utmost confidence i know the layers and the complexity 
and you know the the different components and checks and balances that we have in place and we've tried really hard to share that information with the public so that they can understand you know what a, a vetted process this is to make sure that their vote counts it sounds like in north carolina we go uh, way overboard in being sure elections of course there's always the joke about chicago back in the 50s and 60s where the slogan was vote early and vote often and uh, i'm sure that there's been election fraud in some places but you know I've, I've been a lifelong resident of north carolina and you just rarely hear of any in fact, i say rarely i don't think i can ever remember a case of voter fraud in north carolina uh, i'm sure there's been one but i i, I can't remember one there's a, a few small cases. Um, you know, we investigate less, I'd say less than a hundred a year. We keep a report on that so that and that's published on our, our state board website, ncsbe.gov. If people want to know what our investigative team is looking into, but rarely do DAs pick those cases up and actually prosecute. They're usually well explained. You know, and voter fraud is different than election fraud. And so, you know. I actually hope the fact that the State Board of Elections called for a new election um, back in Congressional District 9, uh, they they made that decision to call for a new election in early 2019. Shortly thereafter, I became state election director and you know I had oversight of a new election, um, you know, unprecedented that there would be a new congressional election. But that was because of election fraud and election fraud and voter fraud are different in the congressional district nine. What we were finding is that there was ballot harvesting going on. There was um, falsification of ballots and and some different things going on with that in absentee by mail voting. And so we strengthened those laws. We worked with the legislature and, you know, we have some of the strongest absentee by mail uh, voting laws in the country because of what we learned um, to prevent uh, from election fraud from happening in the future. Has early voting made your life more difficult or easier? So early voting, you know, when people can come uh, during the 17-day period before election day, uh, that's been in place for, you know, some time now and i've been in elections for 17 years and i can say that when i was a county election director in transylvania county north carolina um you know we saw more people using uh in-person early voting the one-stop early voting as we call it in north carolina more than election day or absentee by mail and what we do see is you know we're actually able to have sites where anybody can come to from wherever in the county and vote. We have all ballots available. They don't have to worry if they're showing up to the right voting election day precinct or not. We can same day register someone during that early voting period in case they've come off the rolls or they've moved from one county to another and haven't gotten their record updated. Things like that are more easily done in that early voting site. And we are able to have large spaces that have often a lot of parking. And so we're able to be of better service to the voters during that time period. It's also, we get a concentrated team of workers who can work that 17 day period. And so they have a lot of experience under their belts. And so what we find is that the most popular method for people to cast their ballots in North Carolina is early voting, in-person early voting. And, you know, in my time in Transylvania County, we saw that get up around 60% of ballots being cast. Wow. In the 
in the 2020 presidential election, we were around 65% of the ballots being cast, and that's even in a pandemic. So they knew that we put in the health and safety precautions to make sure that they could cast their ballot in person. So I think that, you know, it, it is the way that North Carolinians prefer to vote. And we find in an election administration that it actually is, um, you know, it's election administration friendly, too, because we can uh, just navigate those waters and and have a, a very dedicated team working those sites and are able to help provide very good customer service during that period. Well, and I guess as the population has grown. If all the voting was in person on election day, the lines would be extraordinary or we would have to have a lot more workers. You're exactly right. And getting those voting sites is not the easiest thing. So, you know, we we look at that on election day. It's a lot easier to go and find, you know, two, three, four, five, sometimes 20 sites in a county and make sure that those are are good operations ready to serve the public. Election day is a little harder, um, especially as our population grows as we need to be more compliant with disability factors and, you know, trying to get enough workers to work all of those sites becomes a chore too. Our guest is Karen Brinson Bale, who is the executive director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. And we will be back in the next segment. We want to talk a little bit about absentee voting and what's involved in that amongst other things. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we have the Executive Director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections as our guest because, of course, we are not that far away from the spring primary season and the general election. And uh, already, the politicking is hitting the air already nationally and uh, beginning to uh, seep down to the state level as well. Uh, so this is a very timely time for our guest, Karen Brinson-Bell, to be with us. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, absentee voting and uh, uh, and registration in this segment. Uh, absentee voting is, a, is an interesting situation. What are the laws in North Carolina about how to cast an absentee ballot, and what is actually the definition of an absentee ballot? 
So absentee ballots uh, are we we turn that we look at that as an absentee by mail ballot, meaning that someone's going to be absent on election day and is choosing to vote their ballot by mail. Um, we've had this in place for for decades now. We are what is called a no excuse absentee state, meaning that a voter can just choose to vote that their ballot through that voting method. They don't have to tell us that they're going to be away for work or that they're ill. They just say, I want an absentee by mail ballot. So they make a request using the request form it's, that's available on our website, ncsbe.gov or through their county board of elections. They complete that form that has um, information that helps us to confirm that they are who they say they are in our voter registration system by checking against their voter registration file. Then we send them an absentee by mail ballot once um, those are prepared and, and the, we've reached the time frame to send those out. Um, and then, you know, they receive all those materials with instructions. They complete their ballot and they do so in the presence of two witnesses. Uh, the witnesses do not need to see how they mark their ballot, but they can attest that they saw the person, the voter completing a ballot. And so they, the voter then puts their ballot into the, the privacy envelope, the voter uh, signs, and so do the witnesses and completes all the information that's on that uh, outer envelope, that return envelope. And then they stamp it and send it back to the Board of Elections. Now, a near relative can drop that off for them or the voter um, at a in-person early voting site or at the County Board of Elections. Currently, North Carolina law says that they must be postmarked by election day and received within three days of the election, though there is a bill right now that uh, the governor, uh, the legislature has passed, the governor has vetoed, and it looks like there may be a veto override that would change that. Um, and once that's, you know, if that becomes law, uh, then we will publicize the changes in absentee procedures to uh, the public. Um, but right now, you know, that's the law as it stands. And we find that, you know, a lot of voters choose this voting method because of the convenience, um, especially folks who are homebound, um, who still want to participate, but may find that difficult to do without casting their ballot by mail. Um, and, and then another aspect of absentee voting is for the military and overseas citizens. Um, we have a special portal for them. So that request form, any voter can make a request using our portal on ncsbe.gov, but military and overseas voters can actually cast their ballots. That's a provision within our law uh, to allow them to transmit back through that portal. And that's also a provision that's provided for the visually impaired um, following 2020. So, or it came into effect in 2020 and, and is still in effect. So, um, you know, it's, it's a large portion and a very important portion of what we do in elections. And we saw uh, a, certainly a large uptick in 2020 because of the pandemic. Uh, it's gone down a little bit, but we are seeing in 2022, you know, in the midterms, we saw more folks choose to vote absentee by mail in the midterms than what we had seen in prior midterms. So we think that they learned the ease of that voting method and have continued to use that. When do you count those ballots? Do you wait till election day to count them? Yes. Um, so actually the five Tuesdays leading up to election day, the boards, county boards of elections hold uh, absentee board meetings where they look to see that all the, the required 
um, information is completed uh, on those return envelopes, those witness signatures and the voter signature. And then if that if it's compliant, then the board uh, then opens the envelope and retrieves the ballot and then they can insert that into the tabulator. But we don't actually turn that machine that where the ballots are being inserted uh, to tabulate, to actually tally the votes until election day. And then those votes um, are released at the close of polls because we don't want to you know, influence the election in any way. So we don't release absentee by mail results or in-person early voting results until the polls close. Um, and all of that is conducted at the County Board of Elections on election day. Uh, those military and overseas ballots that I mentioned, um, or those that are received uh, postmarked, but but after the deadline or postmarked, but after the election day, then we can process those during the 10 day canvas period and make those part of the official results um, that are certified by the County Board of Elections 10 days following the election. Now, here's a, here's a question that I've got. Uh, someone moves to the state, and of course they register, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. They register in North Carolina. How do you notify uh, the let's say they move in from out of state. How do you notify their state to take them off their their rolls? There's a couple of processes in place. One on our voter registration forms, we ask the voter to give us that information that you know they used to be registered in Virginia, for example, or Florida, wherever it might have been. That they will share that information, and if so, we will notify whatever you know, state or jurisdiction that they've listed that they've moved to North Carolina. We also get national change of address information through the Postal Service, and that's part of our ongoing list maintenance. Um, but in reality, one of the things that I had asked the legislature to do is to allow us to become part of ERIC, which is the Electronic Information uh, Registration Center. And it that is a, a, a membership organization of state election office or agencies or offices. And and allows for the exchange, um, secure exchange of information so that we do know more about cross-state moves. Otherwise, it is difficult because there's not, we don't have a federal election bureau where all data is stored. You know, we have state rights and independent states, and so we maintain our own independent roles in each state. So um, our ability to exchange information is a little bit limited, um, but we do overdue process um, through our list maintenance procedures uh, two of which I've mentioned, you know, we are able to um, update those roles. We also receive information. Um, you mentioned, you know, someone moving into the state, but often we'll see, you know, what our border counties, someone will die across state lines. And so we, you know, there's a process that over time we get that information too, if that's not uh, provided to us by the family upon someone's death. So now uh, we've talked about someone moving in from out of state. What about uh, moves within the state? How how do you adjust, let's say someone moves to Wake County from Mecklenburg County? How is that handled? In-state is much easier for us to manage. We have what's called the State Election Information Management System, SEAMS is the um, acronym. And so through that SEAMS system, it is, it is how we maintain the voter registration rolls. It's how we do a whole lot of things. There's about 13 different modules that we've built out in that, and all 100 counties use that system. So we are a centralized system in that respect. And so when most people now use DMV, when they go to get their driver's license updated, they'll up, 
you know, they'll, they'll update their um, information with the Board of Elections at the same time, whether that be a move or a party change or what or, you know, whatever it might be. But that, you know, but even outside of that, um, when, you know, say Wake County, uh, someone from Wake County moves to Mecklenburg, Mecklenburg gets their voter registration form, whether it be from DMV or a, a mailed in form, you know, whatever it might be. Um, they have the voters registration form indicating that they're now at this address. You know, we'll say Charlotte, they'll scan in that form into our system and it will, you know, it will add them to our system. And because they are registered in our overall system, it gives notice to Wake County that they're no longer um, a resident or a registered voter for that county. And we now, send confirmation I, mailings through all of that yeah. to make sure that that, you know, the voter was accurately wanting to, you know, update registration or change registration. Do you have a cutoff date where if somebody moves two days before the election, is there a cutoff date? Yes, we close voter registration books 25 days before an election. Now, we do have what's called same day registration during the early voting period. And so someone can come in. Um, during that 17 day period, which ends the Saturday before election day, and also register to vote. Um, if they are not registered, they can update their information. If we're in the midst of a primary, then you know they're limited uh, in that time frame from changing their party affiliation. But um, but you know, those are some of the nuances of it. But there are opportunities now on election day. You don't get to register to vote um, on election day, with a few exceptions like. Um, you know, if you've uh, been serving a felony sentence and your sentence is over, um, you could get registered. At, we, we won't go into all the new, you know, there's things with someone having a birthday, turning 18 on, on election day that um, give some exceptions. But for the most part, the registration books close 25 days before the election, or you would need to do what's called same day registration. Now, if they are just moving within the county, we can make those adjustments even on election day. Uh, it just depends on you know whether they've moved within 30 days or prior to 30 days. Uh, if they're moving from one county to another, then the, the registration deadlines do apply. Well, it sounds like you've uh, covered everything as far as all the nuances of moving around and so forth. Now, here, uh, voting machines, of course, are in, I would imagine, in most counties. Do you still have any counties that are still without voting machines in some of the smaller counties in North Carolina? Do they still do, they still do it by hand? Well, you have, have hit my sweet spot. Um, the way I got into elections was actually to train on the new voting equipment that was rolled out in 2006. Um, after, you know, some people won't even know what I'm talking about, but, you know, I'm old enough to remember the year 2000 and the hanging chads. Yes. And that launched the Help America Vote Act, which then provided the funding for any and all states to switch over to certified voting equipment. And North Carolina did that in 2006. And we rolled out statewide voting equipment to tabulate the, the votes. And um, and that's when we also put into place the post-election audit where we confirmed that those tabulators worked correctly. What has changed in recent years is that we no longer have what's called a direct record uh, piece of equipment. Um, we have moved to all hand-marked paper ballots. Uh, so when someone goes to vote, they are going to be given a paper ballot to mark or to use a ballot marking device 
that then either way, whether they've filled in the ovals or the squares themselves, or they've used the ballot marking device, which is a machine that brings it up so you can see um, more clearly or, or have a large scale um, view, um, they then take that paper ballot that they, they have and put that into a tabulator. And that is in all 100 counties. Um, some type of bar uh, ballot marking device for any and all voters to use, but specifically there to make sure um, voters with disabilities have that option. And then every voter is going to be marking a paper ballot that gets put into a scanner to, for tabulation. Well, some of the machines in some of those small counties don't get a lot of use because we have some counties that have less than 5,000 people in the entire county. Which we is, have some counties with less than 2,500 people. Well, that's right. <laughs> Our guest is uh, Karen Brinson-Bell, and she is the executive director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. And we're talking about all the procedures that they go through to be sure that our elections are fair and uh, efficient. And we've got two more segments. And uh, we're, in the next segment, we're going to turn a little bit more to election security and uh, uh, actually uh, some of the other reporting uh, responsibilities of her agency. We'll be right back after these messages. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team, but I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Karen Brinson-Bell, Executive Director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. As we said earlier, uh, election season is right around the corner, and uh, uh, things will really begin uh, getting hot and heavy when we get to the primary season. Exactly when is our first our primary in North Carolina? We are a Super Tuesday primary state, so we will be the first Tuesday in March will be our, our primary for the, for 2024. That's the earliest it's been in a long time. Is that correct? Our first time being a Super Tuesday state was yeah. in 2020. Okay. So um, I've, I've not had a, a, well, I've had a challenging time as executive director. <laughs> a lot of new things have been put in place, but they've gone well. Well, North Carolina is like a lot of states. Uh, when you register, you have uh, several choices, but you can register as a member of a political party, or you can register as an unaffiliate. And unaffiliated roles keep rising and 
have gotten to be a very significant number. Exactly where does that stand now? Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you know we have more uh, unaffiliated voters than we do Democrats or Republicans, um, which is a, a dramatic change. Um, now, I can also say that when I was Transylvania County's election director, we were one of the first counties to have that uh, shift in unaffiliated voters as well. So um, this and that was in the I believe that was around 2012 or 13. So this has been a growing trend in North Carolina. And it's largely because what that means is someone's not affiliated with the party. But when they go to vote in a primary, they are asked which party's ballot would they like to vote. And so they can participate in a political party primary, which is the nominating process. It's not the election. It's the nominating process. And they can um, they don't affiliate with that party by picking that ballot, but they do get to participate in a primary that way. They only get to choose one. Um, so they're not going to get both the Democrat and the Republican, for example, but they can choose uh, one party's primary ballot to vote without affiliating. And then, of course, in the general election, everyone gets the, the ballot that's specific to their jurisdiction and they will choose between the various party nominees um, who are representing their party on the general ballot. Now, if you choose, let's say you're unaffiliated and you go to the polls this year, and uh, uh, in the primary, and you elect to be, say, a Democrat, that doesn't mean that the next time there's an election, you can't choose to be a Republican. That's right. Yeah. they When they go and they select a party's ballot, they are not affiliating with the party. They're just choosing to participate in their primary. And the only time that that holds is, let's say, a voter goes in and chooses to participate in the Republican primary next March, and we wind up with a runoff. Um, then if they want to participate in the runoff, they can still only have the Republican ballot. Uh, they, If the Democrats were to have a runoff, they wouldn't be able to switch if they had chosen to participate in the Republican primary. Um, that's the only time that, that it holds. They're, and they're still not affiliating with the party. It's just you know them expressing that they are continuing to participate in the primary process because that's what a runoff represents is someone didn't get enough votes to be considered the nominee. And now we're down to two candidates and which one of those two candidates will be the nominee. A lot of nuance there, but hopefully I made that made sense. You mentioned earlier that uh, because of early voting, the precinct workers now are working a little bit longer than just election day. Uh, are you having any difficulty uh, finding enough officials and election workers uh, across the state? You know, in 2020, because of the pandemic, we were very worried as to whether our you know, tried and true election workers would be able to turn out because many of our, I'd actually say most of our election workers are retired. Uh, they were considered to be in the vulnerable age population to the pandemic. And so at that point in time, many felt like they couldn't serve. And so we launched what we called the Democracy Heroes Campaign. It has since gotten a national award and a lot of recognition because we had tremendous response to that campaign where people of all age uh, decided that they wanted to participate in our process and serve as a, a, a poll worker or a precinct official. Um, and so we now have what's a really good pool of people. Uh, but we are always in need. And as we have new initiatives like photo ID, 
um, some of the other things that may come out of legislation from the current General Assembly. Um, you know, we we find that we have a, a very strong need for workers. Uh, we go through a process where the political parties put forward names. We just did that a few weeks ago, but they aren't always able to find people. So, you know, if you're interested, please, you know, go on our, our website, ncsbe.gov, click on Democracy Heroes, and we will send your information to the county where you're a resident. And, you know, they may be able to, um, you know, have you serve. You know, Election Day is a very long day. Uh, it's, you know, we open the polls at 6.30 a.m. So our workers show up around 5.30 a.m. typically, maybe even five o'clock. And then they work the entire day until 7.30 p.m. when the polls close. And then we have to break down those sites and get the materials, the necessary materials back to the county boards of elections. So it's, you know, 16, 17, 18 hour days, depending on what your role is, but it is so rewarding. Um, the, the folks who work the early voting period, that 17 day period prior to election day, we often can assign them in shifts where they don't work every day. They might even be hired through a temporary agency um, because of you know, the number of hours and, and it usually means taxes have to be taken out and that kind of thing. In both respects, they do get paid. I won't say it's great pay, um, but you know, that's not usually the motivation for people. They usually want to be a part of the process. And it is so rewarding um, to watch someone cast their ballot you know, for the first time, or maybe they're 100 plus years old and they're just there still wanting to make sure that they have their voice heard. And it's it, that part is what I find so rewarding. And I hear wonderful stories from our workers who typically return time and time again. But, you know, they can't do it forever. And so we are always looking for more people who can help be a part of our democracy. Well, North Carolina's population, of course, has grown so much. Have you increased the number of precincts accordingly? Or do we have roughly the same number of precincts we formerly had back, say, uh, 10 years ago? You'd probably be surprised. We actually are finding that some consolidation of precincts. It, it varies depending on the county and what they need to do. The popularity of in-person early voting means that and, you know, we're now voting 60, 65 percent quite often in the even years during that early voting period. And so when the, the vast volume of your ballots are being cast, then over a 17-day period, it means that the lines and the number of people showing up to election day polling places is not as great. Um, in some of our rural areas, I face this in Transylvania County, the precincts um, have restrictions. You can't be related to each other. You can't be a party official. And some of our precincts are so sparsely populated that we actually had to consolidate some precincts because we couldn't meet the criteria, um, you know, to make sure that people weren't related or weren't, um, you know, a party official who were serving as our workers. So, you know, in, in a lot of our rural counties, we're seeing consolidation in some of our larger counties so that the volume's not too great potentially on election day. They do have some of the splits. So right now, all in all, we're at about 2,500 polling places on election day, which, you know, usually polling places and precincts are one for one. Let me ask you this, because this is, uh, because we have vote counting machines, we actually don't have voting machines, we have vote counting machines. Why is it that some precincts come in late? Uh, in other words, when we're watching the returns on 
the TV or on the internet or ever how we're getting it or listening to the radio or whatever. Why is it that uh, there's always, you know, with 17 of 22 precincts reporting, and there's always one that holds out? What happens there? Well, I can I can probably tell you some comical stories um, <laughs> that in the moment don't seem so comical. But the general answer is we do not have modems in our voting machines. So those results are not being transmitted over the Internet. We the the judges of election who are you know bipartisan officials serving at those polling places sign the results tape and they take a flash drive from that machine and physically drive it back to the county board of elections. That's easy, you know, if the if the precinct is you know four or five miles down the road from the elections office. But if they're on the outer edges, um, or maybe even Hyde County where you you ferry it across, um, you know, you can well imagine that that's not going to happen quickly. And we have to remember that there, if someone is in line when the polls close, they are going to be allowed to vote. So if you've got 20 people in line and it's 7.30 p.m. and they were all there at the time the poll closed, you've got to still process those 20 people and make sure that they can cast their ballot. So there are circumstances that may slow the closing of a voting location. Um, there also could be an extension because perhaps the polling place didn't open on time um, or maybe there was a disruption like a power outage or um, an accident that blocked access to the building, uh, something along those lines to where voting might be extended for a period of time. Um, so there's there's a lot of circumstances, but even if if no disruption happens, just the sheer transport to an, to the Board of Elections um, can delay it. Now, I'll say some of the comical things, um, it's not so funny in the moment, but when we look back, um, you know, we've had individuals who I can remember um, being in a county board office. It was not Transylvania. It was when I was a district person and I was helping out a county and um, this person didn't show up and he just took everything home. He didn't think he had to bring it back that night. And well, he came with his stuff in his pajamas, escorted by a deputy sheriff, <laughs> because we are that serious about getting those results in on election night. <laughs> I won't tell the county because that might embarrass somebody. <laughs> well, uh, I, there's several questions I could do to follow up on that one, but I'm going to leave them alone. <laughs> uh, so, so he came in his pajamas? Yes, <laughs> because we told the deputy sheriff to go get him. <laughs> Okay. I suspect he was a little surprised when there was a knock on the door, but, uh, a little I would, bit. yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Um, well, that, that's interesting. And, uh, uh, that explains why very often, uh, one or two precincts, but usually those, uh, precincts amount to very, uh, very small amount. And usually we kind of know the general outcome of the election. And of course the whole process is, uh, so much faster than it was back in the fifties and sixties, because sometimes I know when I was, uh, uh, in, in Laurenburg at, uh, my early days in radio, sometimes we were on the air to 3 AM and 4 AM and with County elections. <laughs> you know, one of my greatest achievements is I keep track of what time we are done reporting. And again, one of my greatest achievements is the fact that on a presidential election year in a pandemic, a hotly contested purple state with a lot of things on the ballot. Uh, in 2020, we had 
the last results in at 12.28 a.m. on election night. And that's far from your 3 a.m. story. Exactly. Um, so, you know, we have come a long way. We've really refined our processes and, and our chain of custody procedures to make sure that what we're getting is accurate and secure. Um, you know, having the voting equipment, you know, the security and the accuracy of that tabulation, um, and, and then making sure that it's transported properly back to the Board of Elections. Uh, you know, it's actually a, a pretty efficient process when you consider how, you know, we had over five and a half million, uh, 5.5 million ballots cast in 2020, and we were done at 1228 AM. That's, that's remarkable. And, uh, of course, without the voting machines, that would have been impossible. Absolutely. And, you know, again, uh, actually, I want to repeat this because this is news to a lot of people. They are not voting machines. They're vote counting machines. Is that the case in every state or is that just North Carolina? Uh, that's an accurate description for North Carolina. Um, there are a few states that still have the touchscreen voting machines. Yeah. Our guest is uh, Karen Brinson-Bale, and we'll be back with more about the election process in North Carolina right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon... There's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week. We're discussing elections and the election process because we have a primary election coming up next spring on uh, Super Tuesday. Uh, and uh, we also have, of course, a general election about a year and a month or so away from that uh, that uh, uh, annual election. Um, and uh, so we thought it was timely to bring in Karen Brinson-Bell, who is the executive director, to talk about these things. There are two things we want to talk about in this section, uh, and this is our last segment. We want to talk about voter ID because that still has uh, some folks who are, have questions about it. And then we also want to talk about your role in compliance or in campaign financing uh, or campaign re uh, finance reports and such. But let's start with the voter ID situation and uh, tell us about that and how that works in North Carolina. 
Certainly. Um, so we are in the process of implementing photo ID. It's actually in use um, as we conduct the Charlotte and, and Sanford uh, municipal elections right now. Uh, we'll have more municipal elections in October and in November. Um, we've got about 475 municipalities that have elections this fall. And so back in April, there was a decision by the state Supreme Court that said we will implement photo ID immediately. That case um, had been hung, had been in various stages of uh, the court system since uh, December 2019 when there was um, an injunction. And so we have been full steam ahead uh, to make sure that when voters show up uh, for these municipal elections and in 2024, that they will know to present a photo ID. For most, it's going to be a driver's license, but there are other options. There are some student IDs that have been approved. There's a passport that you can provide. Um, you know, just a, a number of options for voters, and they can get that information at ncsbe.gov forward slash voter ID, um, and they can see the entire list of what is approved uh, as a photo ID in North Carolina. But if they don't have ID, then they can get a free ID through the DMV, or they can go to their county board of elections and have an, a voter ID made. They're in the county elections office um, and you know, as part of their voter registration. Uh, so you know, there, there are several options. And then if that is not possible for a voter, then our law allows for us to have an ID exception form. And this is for someone voting in person or absentee by mail, they can complete the exception form, indicate the reasonable impediment that they may have had, such as transportation. They could have a religious objection of having their photo made, or, you know, we're in the midst of, of hurricane season. So, you know, if we have a natural disaster, then that's another declared, then that could be, and you're in an affected area of that natural disaster, then that could be another reason why you might not have ID to present. Um, so, you know, those are all steps that we're putting into place um, and options for the voter when they go to cast their, their ballot. I think what's just really critically important is that all voters know that they will be able to vote with or without an ID. They just, if they don't have an ID that's accepted, then they may have to complete that exception form, voter provisional ballot, provide an ID at some other point in time. It sounds like there's a lot of options and uh, one of them should fit everybody that's that is the intent yeah. and that's and that is what you know the lawmakers put into law and so our job is to administer the law as it's written and now that the courts have told us to move forward that's exactly what we're doing um, the only hardship that we have in this is that because we don't have a state budget yet we don't have funds to do a big outreach campaign. So I appreciate the opportunity to come on programs like this and talk about it because right now we're reliant upon social media, websites, and you know the, the actual uh, press media to help us get the word out to voters. Let's talk about your role in compliance of campaign finance. What's your responsibility there? Yes. So um, anytime a candidate runs for office, they have to form a campaign finance committee. Um, there are some exceptions of whether they have to file reports or not, depending on the threshold um, of how much they're raising or expending. Um, this, but you know, all in all, 
every candidate has a campaign finance obligation in North Carolina. Some will file with the County Board of Elections, some file with the State Board of Elections, depending on the office that they hold or are seeking. Uh, similarly, political action committees, political parties, independent expenditure committees, the list is long of these other types of committees that would also have a responsibility to file campaign finance reports. Depending on the type of committee, depending on the type of office, um, their reporting schedule will vary, um, but there are routine reports that must be filed that indicate the contributions that they have received, the expenditures that they have made. Um, they have to have certain information about the individuals that made those contributions or the entity that they are paying. Um, and those are, you know, whoever they file with, they are audited and reviewed. Um, they are made available for public review. And, um, you know, hopefully we have them compliant. There's a treasurer that's named. It could be the candidate or someone that they designate. We conduct treasurer training as part of our responsibilities to make sure that they understand what their role is and how to properly report. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's a large part of our work that is often not realized because in other states, it may not be connected to the elections office. Uh, it may be a separate uh, process or a separate entity that that oversees that. But um, that's how it works in North Carolina. And of course, it's complicated by the PACs. Yeah, <laughs> it does get complicated. Um, you know, and sometimes it's by political action committee involvement. Sometimes it's by the sheer volume. I mean, you know, when we think about all the money that's being spent on ads and campaigns and strategies and polling and who knows what else, um, all of that has to be reported to either the state board of elections or the county boards of elections. So when you hear about, you know, tens of millions of dollars being spent on a governor's race, for example, you know, we have staff here and it's a very small staff that's not necessarily grown with the, the volume of candidates or the volume of, of money um, that that's getting audited to make sure that they are in proper compliance and there's no wrongdoing. Um, if there's wrongdoing, we can actually refer that to um, the district attorney or the proper authorities to um, consider prosecution, uh, which we've seen in North Carolina. Uh, it's It's been a little bit, but, you know, hopefully we've, we've developed laws and procedures that are helping people to be compliant instead of wrongdoing. Um, but it's certainly something that we consider. And of course, I will point out that, you know, it's it's pretty much it stays with the state level down offices. Um, you know, federal offices have their own um, commission uh, at the federal level. Now, redistricting and new maps also, of course, cause you some concern and some problems. Um, tell, tell me how you handle that. <laughs> So typically we go through redistricting every 10 years, but given the number of lawsuits and, and <laughs> so forth around North Carolina, it, we've definitely redistricted more often than that. Um, and as a matter of fact, a court decision back in April says that we are going to go through redistricting again. The, the same court case, we already knew we would have new congressional districts because that was decided. We got maps for 2020, but it was already said that we would have um, or, or new maps in 2022, but we would have new maps for 2024 for our congressional districts. But the decision in April meant that there's also the opportunity for the legislature to redraw the legislature maps. So the state house and state Senate, we anticipate being redrawn this fall. So um, once we have that from the legislature, 
then we will implement those. Um, it's a, a very methodical and tedious process to make sure that we properly assign candidates and voters to the right voting districts um, and, and, and match all that up. Um, and that becomes really time sensitive because these contests in 2024 that we've been talking about, those folks file in December, starting December the 4th. So um, we need to know where those district lines are so that a candidate can properly file for state house or Senate or Congress. Um, and then we can send out the right information to the voters or they can do their voter search lookup on our state board website to know, you know who they're even eligible to vote for. So what do you do with your spare time? <laughs> uh, my <laughs> I mean, personal get, spare time. You have really uh, uh, listed so many things that you're doing. I, I don't know how you get it all done. So uh, We really don't stop. Um, I can tell you that because of the Congressional District 9 new election in 2019, to come into that, to come into questions around cybersecurity and so forth. We launched our voter confidence campaign in 2019 around the hashtag your vote counts NC. We launched a social media campaign because we want to be as transparent as we can. We have the most data um, of any state elections office or agency in the country um, that's publicly available. So you can go on our website, ncsbe.gov and get that. So that's been a big initiative. Um, the voter confidence campaign to make sure people understand how elections work in our state and really across the country so that they have confidence in the process. Uh, we did not expect a pandemic. We knew we would have a Super Tuesday and that we would be a very uh, spotlighted state um, because we're the first in the nation to send out absentee ballots. But we have done so many initiatives. I mentioned the portal for our military and overseas citizens, but also that portal is the request mechanism for absentee ballots. Um, we have, uh, we're, we're in the process. We hope to get the funding necessary to upgrade our SEAM system. That was built on a 1998 platform. So that's pretty old. That's prior to smartphones and it's a computer software system. Mm -hmm. So we are in the process of updating that. We have been nationally recognized for our collaborative approach to work with our county boards of elections. We call that hubs. Um, we have developed um, a, a, a strong cybersecurity presence so that we don't get attacked. It's, you know, everyone's probably going to be vulnerable to it, but we have put everything in place that we could to secure ourselves, even though we have seen a tremendous uptick in individuals trying to attack our systems, trying to attack our website, um, both domestic and foreign actors. But, you know, that's actually part of our work now, too. And then we talked about campaign finance. Um, we wear a multitude of hats, um, not just me, but all these folks that I work with, there's only about 60 employees at the State Board of Elections. And that goes from the developers who are writing that software to the folks who are auditing those campaign finance reports and the people getting out voter registration forms. And then at the county level, they wear a multitude of hats. So, you know, it, I'm very proud of this profession. And I hope that people begin to realize that we definitely work more than two days out of the year. I am very impressed with all the things that you're doing. And I think all of North Carolina, all of North Carolina, should be very proud of the fact that uh, not only does the state board, but the 100 local boards uh, work so well together and uh, conduct these elections in a way that uh, make us feel safe, secure, and uh, it would appear uh, as uh, uh, accurate as, as as humanly possible. And I commend you for your good work. 
Karen Brinson Bell, the Executive Director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear either the entire broadcast or selected portions. We'll be back again next week. So the next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.